0: The following is a sermon that was preached at Good News Lutheran Church in Mount Horb, Wisconsin. It was preached on Sunday, June seventh, two 2020, on the basis of Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. For more information or to view our entire sermon library, visit goodnewslc.org. Thank you for listening. Well, it's been quite a week, hasn't it? It's hard to believe that seven days ago, I stood in front of you and talked a little bit about the increasing and intensifying division that was present in our country. And at the time, I was talking about different opinions about whether or not we should be wearing masks in public. A lot has happened in the last seven days. In fact, there was one story that I heard late this past week that sort of illustrated and drove home for me at least just how far and how deep this division has progressed and How quickly at that? Of course, all of this started after the death of George Floyd, after a Minneapolis police officer had put his knee on his neck for almost nine minutes. After Floyd's death, pretty soon there were protests taking place. Eventually, those protests turned into riots in many major American cities, and as a result of those riots, there was an increased police presence in many of those cities, including the city of Philadelphia, So the story was that a restaurant in Philadelphia had decided to offer any police officer a free meal in order to thank them for the late nights and the long extra hours that they had been working. But then a bunch of people got angry that this restaurant was doing something nice for police officers. And so the restaurant then reversed its policy and issued a public apology for doing this. And then the police department responded by announcing that they would then be boycotting The restaurant. What a mess. In fact, it's a mess that has dominated our national attention to such a degree that it almost has to be addressed. Not every current event that happens in our country needs to be discussed in church, but I'm quite certain this one does. So then I started looking at the three readings from Scripture that were assigned for today for this Sunday. You see, for 700 years now, the Christian church has set aside this Sunday right after Pentecost to, to spend its time focusing on the Bible's teaching about the Holy Trinity. That the one true God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. He is three persons, and yet He is one God. That has been the topic of discussion on this Sunday for the past 700 years. And sure, on the one hand, we might rightly conclude that a 700-year-old tradition indicates that something is important and perhaps worth continuing, but on the other hand, we might wonder what in the world those 700 years could possibly have to do with the past seven days. Well, thankfully, more than you might think at first. You see, anytime the Bible tells us about the nature of our triune God, it presents that truth not as some abstract mathematical formula or some complicated algorithm that only theological, nerdy types like pastors would be interested in. No, whenever it tells us about the triune nature of our God, it does so in the context of how that triune nature benefits and blesses mankind. And that includes the verses that are in front of us today. Verses that have an awful lot to say to us in circumstances like ours at a time when the division in our country has gone so far and so deep that we might be tempted to wonder if anything could possibly bring people back together again. As we look at these verses, we're going to see that not only is our triune God capable of taking very different and very diverse people and bringing them together, we're going to see that's a part of who he is. Because he is triune. As we look at these verses from Matthew chapter 28 this morning, we're going to see that together is in our triune God's nature. One of the challenges facing our country right now, I think, is that we can't even agree on what is wrong and what needs to happen about it. It seems to me that just about everybody is in agreement that Derek Chauvin, that Minneapolis police officer who put his knee on the neck of George Floyd, needs to be punished for what he has done. But it also seems to me that that might be where the agreement comes to an end. Was this sad and tragic incident primarily about police brutality, or was it also about racism? And in either case, is that a problem that is isolated to a few bad characters in our country, or is it a widespread and systemic problem? Is the solution to what we have going on in our world right now more police presence so that we can restore law and order, or should we have less police presence so that things like this don't keep happening? And, of course, there are those people who think that all of this, from the pandemic to all of the rioting, has all been orchestrated by foreign enemies like Russia and China as a way of getting us all to tear each other apart from the inside out. That's the challenge. There's so much disagreement about what is wrong and what needs to happen. And so, thankfully, as Jesus prepared to ascend back up into heaven and remove his visible presence from among us, he did not leave us as Christians in doubt, as to what he wanted us to do. Jesus said this to his disciples, Go and make disciples of all nations. So the big thing that Jesus wants to be going on in our world and the big thing that he wants to be going on in people's lives is that they would become disciples of Jesus, that they would come to put their trust in his saving work for them and thus end up in heaven with him. There are other things, of course, that can bring benefit and blessing into someone's life in much more limited and temporal ways, but that is the one thing that can change a person's life for all eternity. Now, who does Jesus want this change to happen for? Well, as you heard him say, he wants it to happen for all nations. So yes, whether you are young or old, Yes, whether you are male or female, whether you are rich or poor, and yes, whether you are black or white, Jesus wants you to be his disciple and to end up in heaven with him. In fact, as Jesus went on to say, when this happens to someone, when someone becomes one of Jesus' disciples, Jesus said that God actually puts his name on that person. God claims his person, that person as his very own. My kids could tell you that I've talked with them a time or two about the value of their name and how if they are going to put their name on something and be willing to be associated with it, for an example, an assignment that they are completing in school, it better be something that they are proud of. It better be something that is the very best that they are capable of. So what does our God think about People. Well, he loves them so much that he not only wants them to end up in heaven with him for all eternity, but he is willing to put his very holy name on them to claim them as his very own. And once again, this is true of all nations. So how is it possible that our God could have a mission that big? How is it possible that our God could take a group as different and diverse as all nations and want to bring it together? Well, the answer is found in that very name that Jesus tells us God puts on people. The name of God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. One name for one God, but one God in three persons. God is triune. What that means is that even before anything else was around, even before anyone existed, even when God existed all by himself, there was still togetherness. There was still perfect togetherness and unity just within the three persons of God himself. That's why, as you heard in today's second reading, Paul could refer to God as a God of love and peace. That togetherness, that unity, that love and peace is a part of his very nature. It's a part of who he is. In fact, it's that very nature of God that prompted him to create mankind in the first place. And again, to create all nations. And furthermore, after mankind had fallen into sin and ruined God's creation, it was that triune nature that prompted God to send his son to rescue all nations from sin and death through Jesus' perfect life and his innocent death. And it is that very triune nature that then causes God to want to make disciples of all nations, to put his name and claim as his very own people from all nations. This is who our God is. It is a part of his very nature. Bringing diverse and different people together is in our triune God's nature. And so he has given us a triune God-sized mission To carry out. Now, does this mean that as Christians, really, the one benefit that we can bring into other people's lives is that we can tell them about Jesus? Imagine if that were the case for a second. In fact, imagine that you had stumbled upon that scene in Minneapolis where Derek Chauvin had his knee on the neck of George Floyd. You happened upon that scene, you saw him there on the ground struggling to breathe. You kept Jesus' mission in your mind and you said, I know what I'm going to do, I'm going to tell this man about Jesus. By all accounts, Derek Chauvin, or I'm sorry, George Floyd, knew about Jesus and died as a Christian, which of course we can be very thankful for. But imagine that you, you told him about Jesus and then convinced that you had accomplished your mission, you walked happily on your way doing nothing more to help him out. Is that, is that what we're saying as we take a look at Jesus' mission in these words? Well, of course not. In fact, being aware of this God-sized, triune God-sized mission that Jesus has given us does not enable us to be a blessing to other people less. It actually enables us to be a blessing to other people even more. You see, as we think about this mission, the truly remarkable thing is not that God would take some random, nameless, faceless person in some far-off country who's so very different from us and God would want to write his name on that person and make that person his disciple. The most remarkable part about this mission is that God would want to write his name on each and every one of us. Each and every one of us can honestly say that there is no one in all the world who has given God more reason to not want to write his name on them than than we have. No matter how many sins of other people we might be aware of, that number is dwarfed by the sins of our own that we know all too well. And so thankfully, that triune God-sized mission that Jesus has given us is big enough to include even us. That all nations that God wants to be his disciples and on whom he wants to write his name includes us. And in fact, that's exactly what God has done for us in our baptism. When we were baptized, God wrote his name on us and claimed us as his very own. And what that means is that under any circumstances, no matter what might be going on, no matter who might be hurting, no matter who might be angry, no matter who might be disobeying the law, no matter who might be getting treated unjustly, there is one thing that Jesus does not need from us. Jesus does not need for us to prove ourselves to him. Jesus does not need for us in those circumstances to prove why we are so worthy and so deserving to have his name written on us. And it's a good thing that is the case. Because if it weren't, then any time we came across someone who was hurting or in need or being treated unjustly, that person would only serve as a pawn in our own game of self-justification. That person would only serve as a tool for us to be able to use to prove to everyone and to prove to ourselves and maybe to prove to God just how good and how virtuous we are. Thankfully, because that is settled, because the most important thing that could ever possibly be said about us has already been said when God put his name on us in baptism, we are set free from that vile and vicious game of self-justification. We are set free to be able to serve and to be able to help whoever might need it and for whatever they might need us. Not because God needs that from us, not because we need that for ourselves, but because that person needs that help from us. So a a triune God-sized mission, to go and make disciples of all nations, To take people from every nation under heaven and to have God write his name on them and claim them as his own. That's what God is up to in our world. That seems like a tall order. How do you think it's going to happen? It's another challenge facing our country right now, I think. Aside from all of the disagreement about what is wrong and what needs to happen, there's a lot of disagreement about how that change should take place. How is change going to happen? Where is it going to take place? Is it going to take place in the voting booth or is it going to take place out in the streets? Is it going to take place through peaceful protesting or through violent rioting? Should we stick with words to try and change people's minds or should we also pick up bricks? Thankfully, as Jesus prepared to ascend into heaven, he did not leave us in any doubt about that either. Jesus went on to say to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, therefore, go. In English class, you you might remember learning that that word, go, that verb, is known as an imperative. It's a command. And the implied subject of an imperative is you. So Jesus says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. I'm in charge, I have all power, certainly enough power to carry out the mission that he has in mind and has on his heart. So we might expect the very next words out of Jesus' mouth to be, therefore I. Here's what I'm going to do to carry that mission out, but instead Jesus says, therefore go. Here's what you should do. Thankfully, as Jesus sends us out, he does not leave us empty-handed. Jesus goes on to say, Go and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. In other words, as Jesus sends us out, he puts two very important and very powerful tools in our hand. Baptism and the word of God. And then he sends us out with this promise. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. In other words, as Jesus prepared to remove one form of his presence, his visible presence from among us, he gave his disciples these words to assure them that from that point forward he would be present with them In a different but no less real way, he would be present with them as they baptized and as they preached and taught the Word of God. In other words, when Jesus went up into heaven, he wasn't somehow diminishing the power and the work that he was doing in our world, he was multiplying it as he was putting it in the hands of his people. He was taking all of that power that he has, authority over all things in heaven and on earth, and he was bottling it up in these two very important tools of baptism and his word. He was placing those tools in our hand and he was saying, here, go and put these to use. Jesus' plan, I think, presents a bit of a challenge for us in circumstances like these. Aside from all the ideas that are out there about what needs to happen and what needs to be different, there are, of course, lots of ideas about how that should take place, how things change in our world, how things are are shaken up, how, how things are progressed or altered in our world. And at a time like this, even if we keep Jesus' mission in mind, his mission to go and make disciples of all nations, we still might be tempted to think that the way that is going to happen or the way that that can happen best is by using some of the very same tools that our world likes to use. For example, political power. As if what happens on November 3rd, election day in our country, could somehow speed or slow the progress of Jesus' kingdom in our world. Or perhaps tools like volume and emotion, as if the louder I get, the angrier I I get, the more forceful I get, the more likely someone is going to be to listen to what God's word says. Maybe even tools like violence and force not aware of of any Christians or any churches in our world right now who are trying to advance the kingdom of God through the use of force, but Christians have certainly been guilty of those sins in the past. In contrast, we might be tempted to wonder how in all the world something as simple as the tools Jesus has given us can possibly make any difference. You've seen a baptism before. There's going to be one in church again this morning in our 10 o'clock service to think that something as simple as that could possibly change a person's life forever. Or to think that a message, a very simple one that is contained in a 2,000-year-old book could possibly be the thing that would transform someone's heart and the way that they live. In fact, it might even be the case that if we as Christians continue to simply use the tools that God has given us, we continue to preach the gospel, we continue to invite people to those saving waters of baptism, we might even be accused of not really doing much of anything in circumstances like these. And so that's why it's again very important for us to realize that God's plan, as Jesus outlines it in these verses, should come as no surprise to us. This is in God's very nature. Everything that I told you, the triune God, has done for mankind. He has done together. He has done as a triune God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were involved in creating our world and creating all nations. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit together were involved in rescuing mankind from sin, death, and the devil. And Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all involved in this worldwide mission of gathering disciples from all nations. And so when then Jesus also includes us, when he decides to carry out that work not just together as a triune God but also together with us, never once should we think that somehow he is leaving us high and dry leaving us helpless and hopeless and desperate as if it all depended on us. Instead, we can absolutely trust his promise that as we put the tools he has given us to use, he will be with us just as he said, that he is at work in our world continuing to do the very thing that he most wants to do. Together, is in our triune God's nature. Not only has he given us a triune God-sized mission, but he has given us triune God-sized means to carry it out. And that means we have a fantastic answer to what is maybe a question you may have struggled with this week. I know I did. The question, what do I do? with all of those different opinions about what's wrong and what needs to happen, with all those different opinions about how it should best be carried out, it's easy to feel stuck. What do I do? Out of all the very legitimate and beneficial answers that a person might give to that question, don't forget this one thing, this one thing that these verses point us to, that because of who our God is, we have something to offer our world, even at times like this, that is truly unique. Something that no matter what they watch or what they listen to or what they see on social media, they're probably not going to get anywhere else. This wonderful truth that right now and right here, our triune God is on a mission to bring together people from all nations to be his very own and that right now and right here, he is putting his power to work in order to make it happen. In other words, we possess and we can offer the cure to what would otherwise be inevitable helplessness and desperation if this did all depend on us. We instead can offer hope and peace that comes from what our triune God is up to. That right now, right here, he is doing the biggest possible work with the biggest possible power. In fact, he is working for change and working with power that are triune God-sized. He is working for change and with power that are just as big as he is. Amen.